You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. With the carbon tax having come into effect uh, in June 2019, we're now two years into the regime and the issue is certainly on the government radar with President Cyril Ramaphosa writing in Business Day that uh, South Africa will engage countries at the COP26 climate conference scheduled for November at uh, the World Trade Organization on the issue of carbon tax import penalties and the phasing out of fossil fuels to get a fair deal for the developing world. In addition, local firms and the government may soon find funding less available and more expensive as investors begin to price in environmental, social and governance risk when allocating capital. Uh, investment firms are preparing by taking a stronger stance on ESG issues when making investments. Local asset managers are fast catching up with the likes of 91, Coronation and Alexander Forbes, all highlighting their commitment to ESG investing in recent months. John Green, Chief Commercial Officer of 91, warned during the 2021 Investment Forum uh, in June that uh, the risks of carbon border tax adjustments due to ESCOM's heavy reliance on coal are massive. Carbon Brief ranks South Africa as having the most carbon-intensive power grid among 25 major economies that it analysed based on grams of carbon emitted per kilowatt hour of power produced in 2017. So to talk about the impact that the tax is having on South African companies, I'm joined now by Eckhart Zollner, Head of Business Development at EDS, uh, Tyrone Hawkes, uh, Vice President of Sustainability and Business Development at SAPI, Kevin Tar Graham, a General Manager for the South African office at uh, NUS Consulting Group, and Jocelyn uh, Little, who is a Divisional Manager at Catalyst Solutions. Eckhart, kick us off. Uh, could you provide just a brief overview of the Carbon Tax Act uh, landscape in South Africa, where we are currently uh, in terms of the Act and uh, companies complying with uh, the legislature, as well as our general understanding of the Act? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks very much. We are in the first phase of the Carbon Tax Act. As you mentioned, it came into being in July 2019, and it's really been designed in a number of different phases. We are currently in phase one, which will take us until December 2022. From January 2023, we will say phase two kick in until about 2030, where after um, phase three will come in. Um, and what we currently have um, quite tight regulations and well-defined policies and guidelines for phase one that really addresses the larger emitters of um, CO2 or CO2 equivalent gases. Those include the likes of um, Assessol, uh, PPC, PPC cement, uh, chemical manufacturers, brick manufacturers and the likes or who have quite substantial input requirements for heat generations in excess of um, 10 megawatts thermal energy. Um, and um, the trick with the carbon tax has really been that South Africa, obviously as a signatory to the Paris Agreement, has to comply with its own nationally determined contributions. Um, at the same time, it has to balance the need to grow an economy as an emerging country. So the design of the three phases is really around getting companies to get to grips or to an understanding for the importance of the Carbon Tax Act, whilst being able to, over years, change their own systems, uh, processes, invest in new technology, invest in mitigating measures, all designed for South Africa as a country, as an economy, to reach carbon neutrality by about 
2015, whilst not penalizing the economy. Mm. Mm. And within that, I mean, it speaks about, we often talk about the just transition in energy terms, but there's almost a just transition taking place here in carbon tax terms as well, Graham, as uh, we see the three-phased approach being taken. In basic terms, what do companies really need to know about the Carbon Tax Act at this stage? Michael, what, what's happening with companies is they need to address the data collection, especially on, the, uh, on their footprint inside, so their energy consumption. Um, Everyone thinks it's around how much they, uh, they're consuming, but it's actually the installed capacity. So uh, especially with the energy portion, which Eckhart had just mentioned now, the 10 megawatt thermal, it's aggregated. So those, all those entities that have uh, sites that have standby generation, uh, which is stationary combustion of, of diesel whilst these blackouts are happening, um, you've got to aggregate them together to actually get to the 10 megawatt thermal. So uh, where previously you were thinking that a small facility uh, with a backup generator was excluded, uh, if you're part of a larger group uh, and you have uh, operational control on that, you've got to aggregate them together. And if you meet that target uh, of 10 megawatt thermal at the aggregate level, you are then included. So it's collecting that data of the actual physical asset, then actually looking at the consumption, and that is where the tax comes into play. So you're not mm. gonna be taxed on your install capacity, but only on the consumption that's occurring in the period. And it, it, an important point that you raise, because companies are, are managing this through a period of load shedding where you are uh, being forced to resort back to your diesel generators in the main. Uh, Tyrone, from SAPI's perspective, uh, and uh, with the tax having come into effect from the 1st of June, we've had a couple of years. How do you think uh, SAPI is currently performing? What have you found to be uh, some of the challenges, uh, some of the things that you think work about the tax? Just take me through how SAPI's approached this. Oh, thanks, Mike. Uh, I think SAPI's been aligned to this carbon tax uh, way back uh, since 2015, and we started to reduce our carbon footprints uh, from then already. Uh, and we work very closely with the governments uh, as, as they deliberated around the Carbon Tax Act. It's taken about nine years to get to um, implementing the Act. And, you know, we're definitely on, on track and aligned. And we are, uh, we've also signed up to Science-Based Target Initiative, which is an initiative uh, which um, has as its goal to keeping global warming to well below two degrees uh, Celsius which is aligned to the Paris Agreement uh, on climate change, and which was also assigned by the South African government. And I think it's also worth noting that later this year, our government will be attending the COP26 summit in London, uh, which will bring governments together to accelerate action towards the goal uh, of the Paris Agreement. Mm. Um, so SAP is very aligned and, and we are totally committed. And in fact, uh, we have a project in, at our biggest mill in South Africa right now, where by the time we finished, which is hopefully next year, uh, we, that, that mill's emissions should be quite close to zero. And COP26 uh, in, in Glasgow uh, this year, uh, with the president attending the G7, writing this op-ed in Business Day, committing to our uh, nationally determined contributions, but talking about a fair deal, about a balanced approach, this is all happening against a backdrop where we're seeing uh, strict uh, curtailment measures being put in place in the EU, for example, 
uh, based on the carbon intensity of exports into that region. What do you see as SAPI as the major risks for, for companies if they look at the carbon tax and say, this is just something that we can't afford to do right now as a developing country? Uh, yes, Mark. The, the, the whole issue around uh, um, ESKIM and being coal dependent, uh, anyone that's using electricity in this country and producing products and, and supplying Europe is going to uh, be impacted by the European Commission, uh, European Union's focus on carbon tax, uh, border tax. And uh, I think we need to start right now working with governments uh, to see how we can uh, get ESKIM um, uh, sort of dependency on coal down to a level where we can be seen as a, as a country uh, that is a lower carbon emitter and reduce the carbon tax that we will be paying on, on products going into the into, into the into the EU. Um, other, other, the other solution I can I can just suggest to other companies, which SAPI is looking at, you know, in our own in the, in our own space, we are, are, are converting uh, a lot of our energy, our, our fossil energy, to um, renewable energy, and um, getting off the grid if mm. that's uh, that's possible for some companies. Well, at least, at least the president has made it easier with the recent announcement to amend Schedule 2 from 1 megawatt to 100 megawatts. And that really is a, an important component in this entire conversation. Jocelyn, when you look at how the heavy polluters are currently performing and, uh, you know, talk of methane clouds and, and Sassel and uh, PPC releasing results this week. It's a big risk, although it's at least dealing with its balance sheet issues. On, in general, do you think they are on track in terms of reporting on and curbing their emissions uh, and aligning with this new carbon tax regime? Um, yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, I think in terms of compliance, definitely uh, the heavy emitters have, most of them have licensed with SARS and are paying the carbon tax. I guess, uh, you know, reduction is really a different story. Um, so, so I think the compliance is definitely there, um, but reduction is, you know, I guess quite a few of them have implemented what they refer to as low hanging fruit. So those projects where there's very little capex um, required, but now it's really about implementing those projects that uh, require a, quite a significant capital investment um, and obviously in this climate, that makes it quite challenging. Um, but I think generally there's an acknowledgement that um, there is a need to reduce carbon emissions and that companies need to start investing significant capital in those types of projects, looking at uh, various financing mechanisms to unlock that and enable that, mm. uh, especially with, I guess, phase two of the carbon tax coming, which is likely to be uh, far more stringent and have a greater impact on those companies. Mm, and we'll come to round two because uh, there is a concern that it will be a lot more punitive. And when we look at uh, long lead time, capital intensive projects in, in mining and heavy industry, for example, uh, what business needs is certainty around what those numbers are going to be before investment decisions can be made. We're also seeing uh, Eckhart, the mining industry, cash flush at the moment because of the commodities boom. So if you're going to invest in new renewable and greener sources of power, now would clearly be the time. But for those companies who might not be getting their ducks in a row when it comes to uh, uh, emission reduction, what do you think could be causing the delay? What do you think some of those challenges are still? Yeah, essentially, the framework around the carbon tax submissions and carbon tax calculations in phase one um, makes room for a number of allowances. 
Um, there's offset allowance, there's performance allowance, there's a budget compliance allowance. And um, it really paints a, a tax component itself is only one component of about four or five components that you need to get your head around. Um, we, we have a healthy industry, I think, in the environmental consulting sector and companies that um, have learned to deal with and understand all these allowances. But it, it took a little bit of time for government as well to put the regulatory frameworks in place to that govern all these allowances. Because without a full understanding of how these allowances are, wor are working and what the mechanisms are to accurately calculate your um, your actual liabilities, it's 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 very difficult. Um, over and above that, I think um, it needs more and clearer communications. You know, we're cutting across a number of ministries and in, in government who each have a separate responsibility, whether it's um, emissions reporting, footprint reporting, or the tax itself, or the offset projects. Um, so we haven't had lots of clear communication um, into industry as to the complete picture, I would say. You know, so I think it's been difficult, and I certainly hope that um, there's going to be more communication. It's going to be easier for the, for the more mid-sized companies to get their head around the liabilities and the mechanisms and the opportunities, I think. There are a lot of opportunities mm. through offset programs. Um, and hopefully once our phase two NDCs have been tabled and accepted, shortly thereafter we'll see some definitions coming into um, the phase two obligations from 23 forward. So um, companies will have to nominate resources and personnel that are responsible and occupy themselves with following the developments and engaging with all the relevant ministries on an active and proactive basis. And just before we go to break, Graham, I mean, obviously the intention of the carbon tax, uh, as stated, is to get companies to change behaviour to reduce their emissions. This is not a, a revenue-raising exercise for Treasury, although I'm sure it is appreciating the extra revenue it's generating. And as Treasury will tell you, we can't ring-fence that for purpose. So it does help in certain other areas. But... Uh, is it having the desired effect? Do we know who's doing the measuring? Who's sitting there tabulating whether or not we actually are seeing a, a reduction in emissions as a result of this tax? I think it's actually going to be quite difficult to, be able to ascertain that um, based on the unpredictable year we had last year with uh, the manufacturing shutting down because of COVID and the pandemic. Uh, so, so last year as a baseline is going to be very difficult to, to ascertain that kind of impact. It is, on a financial point of view, cost neutral on the electricity side because there was already in the ESCOM pricing a climate change levy built into it at three and a half cents uh, per kilowatt hour. So the one is dropping off and the other one is coming into play. However, on the diesel and petrol side, that is where the impact is, uh, is coming through. So, and I do believe that if companies start addressing the fact that for every kilowatt hour, you're saving one kilogram of carbon going into the air, you're saving one and a half liters of national water being generated, uh, consumed for the generation, mm -hmm. and you're probably saving roughly around a rand in financial terms. So it's building up the business case and going across all the departments, which uh, Eckhart was saying in the government side, but in the actual mm -hmm. entities themselves, they have 
all of a sudden you've got the financial director who's got a metric, which is the one rand, you've got the engineer, which is the one kilowatt, and you've got your sustainability looking at the water as well as the carbon savings. So the drivers are there. And if, as we said earlier, if we don't do it, we are the supply chain to Europe and to, uh, to the developed world. We are going to, we're going to find it difficult to be um, part of the picture mm. when it comes to winning contracts with the uh, carbon intensity coming into play with the RE100 coming in uh, in Europe and the um, the net zero um, program that's going through Europe and America. Tyrone, just to talk to me from a SAPI perspective, how you motivated at board level uh, and you were a supporter of the carbon tax very early on to make these changes, to uh, to say to the FD, well, this is the financial savings uh, and to the engineers, this is the efficiency improvements. Uh, what kinds of conversations really unlocked that from a strategic level inside SAPI? Yes, Mike, uh, I think maybe just to go back a step, when we started to look at uh, renewable energy projects, uh, the, the pushback that we got from the board and, and from from the business was, you know, this could lead to uncompetitive uh, businesses, you know, extra costs for the business. And and actually what we've seen by, by getting lean and mean and, and looking at innovative ways to reduce our carbon footprint, the business has actually improved from a cost-effective point of view. So we have, we have seen the benefits internally uh, however, I think what's what's also been of, of importance is it's not just been the government and the legislation that's actually pushed us in this direction. Um, it's also been our, our investors and, and also the consumers. And I think what's driven our board uh, more more than anything else is this whole this whole focus from the customer and the, and the ESG mm. focus from the investors. And what, what we're seeing is, is SAPI, by getting involved in, in, in reducing our carbon footprint, it's building trust with, with, uh, with our customers and showing them that we are doing the right thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's helping us uh, sort of build our reputation or improving our, our brand uh, and also boosts uh, the investor confidence in our business that, we, that we're reducing this, uh, our, our carbon footprint. Um, but I think internally, uh, what's actually happened is that we, we but by reducing our energy efficiency, I mean, by improving our energy efficiency and, and um, going, going towards renewables, we're actually finding ourselves becoming, uh, we believe, having a competitive advantage uh, against our competitors. And I think if you're looking far into the future, I think if companies don't start reducing their carbon footprint, they might become irrelevant if consumers start demanding fossil-free products. And that, those are the driving forces, isn't it? It's capital allocators, it's consumers uh, who are demanding this from companies. And so those who, who don't change uh, might find themselves uh, redundant in the future. Jocelyn, if you look now at phase two of the Carbon Tax Act, that's coming to effect from early 2023 in what Eckhart said. What can companies expect here in terms of uh, pricing compared to the first phase? Do we know yet? Um, yeah, so I think, you know, phase one was really introduced to help companies to transition into this carbon tax regime. Um, and so in phase phase one, there were quite a few allowances um, that were basically can be used by companies to reduce their emissions or to reduce their carbon tax liability. Um, and so in phase two, what we anticipate is probably that some of those allowances will be removed or reduced. Um, so, for example, there was a basic allowance of 60%, which means companies were effectively only paying really for 40% of their emissions. 
Um, and we expect that that basic allowance will probably be reduced under phase two. Um, unfortunately, apart from expecting that the allowances will be reduced, we don't really have much clarity. What National Treasury have said to us is that they will evaluate the effectiveness of the carbon tax at the end of 2022, and then they will make adjustments on that basis. Mm. Um, so we anticipate that the allowances will be reduced. Um, some allowances may be removed. Um, and, uh, and in terms of the carbon tax rates, I think, you know, the carbon tax sets out that that carbon tax rate will increase by CPI plus 2% until December 2022, and thereafter by CPI. So the carbon tax rate, we have a bit more certainty on, um, but we don't exactly know how much the allowances are going to be reduced by or whether some of the allowances will actually be removed in the end. Mm. So I guess there's a little bit of uncertainty as to what will happen, but my, my view is that they will reduce the allowances, especially the basic allowance of 60%. Although the challenge, and to Graham's earlier point, Jocelyn, just to come back to you on this, is the fact that we've got a baseline level of uh, the pandemic year in 2020, which will make it very difficult to evaluate the effectiveness of this tax. Do you, do you anticipate potentially an extension of phase one as a result of the pandemic, which nobody foresaw? So I agree. I, you know, I think what, uh, what's been said is, is really important, that it's going to be quite difficult to see the reduction in our emissions and to attribute that to the carbon tax. I think that's, you know, very challenging. Um, but, but I don't necessarily think that it will mean um, that we won't see phase two on the 1st of January 2023. Um, I think what we may see is we may see, for example, instead of that basic allowance of 60% being removed completely, maybe it being reduced slightly. Mm. Um, but I do think that, that we are likely to see, um, you know, the, the phase two being introduced from 1st of January 2023. It'll just be maybe potentially the design of that phase uh, phase two um, that, that may change slightly. Um, but I do, I do think we would still see it. And I think National Treasury will probably evaluate its effectiveness, um, possibly in terms of how much revenue it's collected how many emissions are covered by the tax um, and potentially some modeling around emissions per, per ton product for specific industries. And Eckhart, just as we've got two minutes to go, in an ideal world here, what should big companies, uh, large emitters be doing now in order to have a smooth transition into phase two of the act? Yeah, essentially they have to appoint the relevant structures in the organization that look at the complex environment as um, Kevin was earlier hinting at um, which is, can be aggregated across many sites, across many installations in many parts of their production chain. Um, but more so, the number of areas um, that need intervention. Uh, on the consumption side, electricity, as we know, has been extremely dirty. Electrification, optimization is, is one important uh, sector. The actual production processes, the efficiencies of the production processes is another one. The deployment of state-of-the-art um, technology, um, that is an ongoing development globally in terms of trying to capture some of the emissions and, and move into effective carbon storage elements. It's something that South Africa is also investigating at the moment. Um, and then there are obviously the 
the sweeteners, the incentives, in, in other words, the carrots, like the offset programs. Mm -hmm. And that is an ever-changing field that one just needs to stay on top of because currently they are governed by relatively complex, uh, partially international frameworks. The industry is trying to bring that into locally, nationally legislated frameworks and come up with uh, national verification standards for offset programs, which will make offsetting a whole lot easier. Um, so it's it's a constant um, development at the moment, still a moving target, I think, as you've seen. Um, and it needs to move also away from an annual exercise to, to a monthly, to regular budgeted and controlled and, and mm. managed environment um, that is reported throughout the levels right up to boards and shareholders. And that, Kevin, uh, to give you the last word, seems to be the big opportunity for large companies here, is to have a look at the offsets. It is, and in South Africa it's certainly a market that uh, is going to grow, because under the, the carbon tax regime and the uh, reporting side, the verifications uh, of those uh, credits have to be done by accredited uh, organisations, and it's built into the guidelines uh, that SANAS accredited 14,065, uh, companies are the ones who should be doing it from 2023 onwards uh, and that falls under the international standard for uh, carbon footprinting measurement and verification um, and it's going to grow that local market where we can generate our own credits and the RE100 does the same they are boundary um, constraints so if you want to offset any of your energy generation, it has to come from the local country in which you are operating in. Right. So you're going to get uh, a whole green industry growing out of this, which is on the offsetting side, plus mm. the consulting side with the verification, which uh, yep. Eckhart was talking about Abs as well. Absolutely. Big opportunities, and that is the way we should be framing this right now in the global context. Uh, Kevin Todd Graham, thank you very much, of NUS Consulting Group, joined around the table by Eckhart Zollner, Head of Business Development at uh, EDS, Tyrone Hawkes, Vice President of Sustainability and Business Development uh, at uh, SAPI, and uh, we also had uh, Jocelyn Little, who is a divisional manager at Catalyst Solutions.